I hope you are having the most booty-tastic day possible, friends. Welcome to the Plug Podcast by B-Vibe. I'm your host, Luna Matadas. I'm a sex and pleasure educator, and I love episodes where we hear from you, our audience. So you all had some amazing thoughts on today's topic, which is all about gender and anal. What does gender have to do with butt stuff? How does gender or gender expression influence our ideas about giving or receiving anal? Can anal sex be gender affirming or a way to explore gender through pleasure? We get into all of this juiciness in this episode. So we asked you to submit your thoughts and stories on the intersections of gender and booty pleasure. You did not disappoint. We hear some spicy stories, some stories about queer masculinity, somatic sex education, vulva on vulva, booty pleasure, and so much more. So sex is definitely about fun and pleasure and it's also about learning about ourselves and new pathways to that fun and pleasure and even liberation. So this is right on brand for B-Vibe. B-Vibe is all about high quality toys, pleasure-centered sex toys, and creating new spaces for self and body exploration. So if you're loving The Plug by B-Vibe, like, subscribe, or follow wherever you're listening. Our fabulous guest today is Corey Moore. Now, Corey has so many different hats, so here's their bio in their words. I'm a facilitator with 10 years of dynamic industry experience in sex work and sex education. I've taught in shops, classrooms, and at conferences across the country, and yes, I've got quite a bit of hands-on experience too. I studied gender and sexuality at NYU, and I have danced in clubs, switched in dungeons, and sweated on screen. Currently, I am completing certification as a full-spectrum doula. When I'm not making smut or providing pleasure-based sex education, I also provide industry consultations consultations, peer support, and performance work. My unique blend of experiences has helped me to hone a special skill for keeping my audience comfortably engaged, even through complex new concepts, and I strive to bring that energy to every engagement. Ooh, we are in for a treat chatting with Corey today, so let's get right into it. Enjoy. Okay. Uh, Corey, I am so excited to chat with you about this topic today. And actually, I'm just excited to chat with you in general. I think your work is amazing. And I've learned so much about you and from you and the ways in which I, I love, I think there was a line, I don't know if it's on your Twitter, but, or in a bio, but it, it said that you were connecting like justice and joy, or like you were meeting at this intersection of justice and joy. And I was like, that needs to be on a shirt and <laughs> like, I will help you. you know? <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's, it's amazing to be able to bring in your intersections of wisdom. And so can you tell us a bit about, you know, what, uh, what, what experiences have brought you together to be able to offer this amazing sex education and especially booty pleasure wisdom? Yeah. Um, I, there are a lot of different experiences that inform my approach to sex education. Um, I am a trans person who has been out since my, preteen years. So I have navigated um, being out in a very public way. I navigated um, uh, gender-related medical care from a very young age at a very different time in trans medicine. Um, A big part of my story is that I went on hormones when I was 18. And at the time, conventional wisdom was that um, that would mean losing my fertility permanently. And then I got pregnant while I was on testosterone. Um, So I'm also a birth parent to two children and an open adoption. And that's a huge part of uh, my my commitment to kind of bridging pleasure-based sex education, gender-inclusive sex sex education, and reproductive justice um, all together. And then on top of that, of course, um, I worked in sex education with the pleasure test for a very long time. um, And I also am a full-service in-person sex worker. Um, And my some of my specialties in that line of work are prostate milking, um, fisting, uh, strap on play, and all form of anal training and stretching, which I'm particularly enthusiastic about. So I'm really happy to kind of bring all of those things together too. Talk about I wish you could all see the joy. Bodies can do. <laughs> yeah, man, like, I just, I just like, I really enjoy like intense sensory experiences and like curating those for others and like mm. birth and anal, they have a lot in common um, and they involve a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into your work um, as a, as a queer birther? Like how did, how did that happen? Yeah. So um, when I was pregnant with my first child, I, um, I, man, I had a really rough time um, 
navigating <laughs> like maternal maternal health in New York City. Um, I was sent to a high risk specialist because the presumption was that I was high risk because I conceived while I was on testosterone, even though my pregnancy was perfectly healthy, my child was perfectly healthy. And I experienced a lot of hostility from um, medical staff in the high risk clinic who were used to working with um, people of advanced gestational age or who were struggling with infertility, um, who were very kind of confused by the story of my conception and who were also very judgmental of my choice to pursue open adoption. There were assumptions that I wouldn't breastfeed, assumptions that I wouldn't want to hold or bond with my baby, that the adoption would be closed, all kinds of things. And a big sort of source of filling in the gap in my own reproductive education at the time was the doula that I had who helped to deliver my baby and was sort of there for me through an emotional experience that nothing ever could have prepared me for, um, which was, you know, the separation from my child. And so after all of that happened, I sort of started to see the bigger picture of how these things had happened for me. You know, when I was in high school and I came out as trans, <laughs> my guidance counselor pulled me out of health class because we had a really homophobic teacher, which meant I never got a single day of sex education in my entire high school career. Um, and then, you know, when I was a little bit older, I met medical staff who really had no idea what they were doing when they were giving me hormones, who just told me I wouldn't be fertile. So no sex education, misinformed um, medical provision. All of a sudden I'm, you know, 21 and in school and pregnant and broke and completely unprepared for how all of these things are going to happen. Um, and finding myself in a position where, you know, I felt completely unprepared and unsupported to parent. And that led me um, towards adoption, which is something that I think is, you know, I mean, it's a complicated subject that isn't talked about very often, particularly from the, the birth parent side of things, because there's a lot of shame and a lot of stigma attached to, you know, the choice to terminate your parental rights. Um, and, you know, I, what I also learned through that experience is that adoption is an industry like many other things. And it's a really problematic industry where, you know, agencies prioritize making their money, which happens from adoptive families. They make, you know, 30 to $50,000 every time they manage to traffic a child into a new family. And then most of the time, what happens is complete abandonment of the birth parent um, after that experience, yeah. despite all kinds of promises of counseling and support groups and staying in touch and yada, yada, yada. And even though open adoptions, there's plenty of research supporting that open adoption is psychologically the most beneficial for both adopted children and their families of origin. They're not legally enforceable. And even in the states where they are, that, that doesn't happen. Um, they frequently be, start open and then close. And I think that a part of the reason for that is that we really don't have the skills in a in a really heteronormative society to support such a complicated relationship. And I think, you know, my background in sex education and my experience with alternative relationships like polyamory really helped to support the open adoption that I have because we are practiced at not believing in one true, you know, if there's not one true love, there doesn't have to be one true mom or dad. There doesn't have to be a competition for um, primary placement in the life of my kids, right? And that that whole experience just really brought together a lot of different things for me in terms of learning about my body. And once I started to really dive into sex education, I learned a lot more about the role, um, the relationship that pleasure and reproductive mm -hmm. capability play with each other, right? Like we like to pretend that these things are very separate and that pleasure isn't necessary for reproduction, but it does actually have like biological implications. And so, you know, through all of that, I had been in sex education, I'd been in the sex industry. I found, I found myself feeling really called to make a move more towards birth work with a specialization in um, working with people who are considering placing their children into adoptions because there's just so little um, available for folks in that in that position. So my next move is um, finishing this certification with Doula Trainings International uh, to do that kind of birth work specifically to support um, sustainability in open adoption triads because I think I really believe that that is you know the best thing for everybody involved. Noting, of course, that what needs to be priority one is building a world where people have access to the resources that they need to parent their children if they want to, so that they don't feel coerced um, by poverty into participating in adoption in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for uh, digging into all these different aspects <laughs> and like systems that come together to shape this experience and how we actually need work at 
at all levels to be able to detangle this and create a more supportive experience. So I'm so glad that your work is <laughs> is aligning with that. And um, also that that we're learning about this. I think it's it's connected to people in many ways, even if they're not having the same experience. You named a lot of things that are problematic with the ways mm-hmm. in which we're allowed to like take up space, to get care, to be able to be ourselves in um, in, in interactions with providers or with education system or with these agencies. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, it's hard to give a, a short answer about something that just has so many moving pieces. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. And can I ask you about, um, you know, you mentioned some delicious booty pleasure menu items that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that come, um, in your, in your other forms of work. And so how, how has gender shown up in the ways in which, I mean, for yourself as a provider, but also for the people that come to you and how they search out services or what they want or what their experiences like in um, interacting with maybe even booty pleasure for the first time or going up into like fisting and like big things like booty Hell adventurers, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 You know, it's so funny. I, I was thinking a bit about this before um, this conversation because I just feel like there's so much here because I, you know, I have seen and experienced myself gender showing up in anal exploration in so many different ways, you know, like at an earlier point in my transition when I was on testosterone and aspiring to be legible to cis people, um, having, having anal sex with cisgender gay men became this like point of validation. Like I want to participate in the thing that they do because this is the community that I aspire to be a part of. And so it became, you know, an act completely separate from the pleasure of the act itself that was pleasurable through the way that it validated my place in a community that is so attached to this thing. And it's, you know, it's complicated to attach anal sex to the gay community, right? Because anal sex is is for everybody and everybody does it. Um, and many gay men don't do it. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not something that's inherently tied to a sexuality, but it has become so tied to it. And that had me thinking a lot about, you know, like why we have the need for the name pegging, like how we support the comfort of straight people in exploring something that is marked as queer by marking it as straight. Um, and about how I think a lot of um, a lot of homophobia actually comes back to gendered expectations and transphobia, right? And like when we think about the gay men in the world who are facing, you know, confrontation and violence, um, it tends to be based on a gender presentation, on being effeminate, on being perceived as someone who does an effeminate act, like being receptive. And I think that connection between um, the idea that being a receptive partner, that being penetrated is passive, is effeminate, becomes a point, um, a point at which a lot of people can diverge in their relationship with anal and gender. And that's something that I've seen a lot in my work. So I've had a lot of clients who, um, who are cis heterosexual men who live in a um, very like normative nuclear family life who desire... Um, Uh, They desire the ability to be out of control, to be desired instead of having to be the pursuer all the time. And the focal point of that becomes being a receptive partner um, and tapping into femininity and tapping into the ability to be penetrated um, as a source of both um, kind of relinquishment, but also feminine power. And on, you know, the flip side of that coin, I've known um, many people who take their, take the power of being able to be like olympically receptive in a really masculinizing direction and drive, derive a lot of like, you know, like power bottom intensity kind of masculine edge out of what kind of play they can achieve or what, how big of a thing they can fit in their butt. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of different directions with it. And I think that there's, there's just so much to unpack between this relationship with um, how receptiveness is, is gendered as effeminate and where we go from there, depending on how we feel about, about that assignment when we decide to, to put something in our butt. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting like a peek into the lives of the buttholes that you get to pleasure, like this is mm-hmm. a nice little window. Um, and I, I agree with everything. I think there's there's so many different layers of, of the ways in which that we engage with gender and gender expression. And we heard from our, our audience in, we've got some audio we're gonna listen to. We also got some feedback on our Instagram, which was awesome. And two of the pieces that I think are, really tie into what you're talking about in uh, these expectations 
conversations, especially since the conversation has centered around mainly cis gay men. And so like we're we're not really um, capturing the full range of, of booty experiences. And so we live uh -huh. up to the expectations we see and we think that it might not be for us. We just did an episode about uh, queer women and anal. And um, we did have some people write into us and kind of say, yeah, I feel like there's an expectation because I'm more mass presenting that that I have to be the person that's going to be like the top or that that I want to be on top, but I don't necessarily want to be in power or in mm -hmm. charge. And so even the associations with with giving and receiving around that and uh, my experience on on Tinder has been, I'm kicked off of Tinder, but twice, but you know, I, when I was allowed on there, I, <laughs> I, I, anytime the conversation went, um, around, uh, anal sex. And if I was talking to, um, a cis man, it would always be the assumption that I was the receiver because I'm femme presenting. And so there, there was, and I would just love it. I would just turn it upside down. They would say, Hey, you know, like, do you like anal? I'd be like, I love anal. And they would say, Oh, well, I love to give it like really hard and like deep and I'm like oh my god me too I love giving it hard and deep and they're like wait what uh -huh, uh -huh. and so it's like <laughs> we we I think a lot of times that you know for people listening to this and this might be their first time thinking about like how has gender and gender expression and all these things that are connected to it how has it even affected my experience so there might be lots of subconscious things that that we just sort of take as the norm or it's been affirmed as the norm in how we do these things so I'm so glad that we we have you here to listen to our selections from our our audience okay are you ready are you ready to, to hear oh yeah that? okay so we've got this first clip um that's our our lovely listener is telling us about how gender or anal can be affirming so we asked the question can it be gender affirming gender expansive and here's what we got so i've just started exploring um anal sex and it's been really affirming i kind of started with self-play um in terms of um, I think anal sex forever, in my opinion, was something that was associated with queer masculinity. Um, and then as I got older, I had ideas of anal sex in a very heteronormative way as it being something that women didn't want and guys wanted from me as someone who was assigned womanhood in this way. Um, mm. And then I also started to have this, like, kind of idea of pegging as this, like, feminist act, um, which all are interesting ideas to unpack, I think. Um, the simplest way in which I found anal sex to be affirming was because my exploration marked me also coming into my feeling myself as someone who fit in to um, the queer man world um, as a non-binary person who is AFAB um, claiming my relationships as men as being part of the wide spectrum of gay male relationships um, felt incredibly um, affirming and, and, and helped me put words to why I felt the way I felt in certain experiences and why as somebody who initially identified more in terms of a lesbian cis woman um, helped me understand my relationships with men in a more nuanced way because they had kind of surprised me and um, I think initially anal play was a way of thinking about that but it also has really affirmed me in my gender fluidity and the ways in which I also see myself um, and feel myself as being in male-female relationships where I'm male or female-female relationships where I'm female and the, all the queerness that I feel at different points and times and that I get to work towards anal play in my queer femme relationships where I haven't heard of anal play being discussed in the same way that I have images of queer men and um, straight couples exploring anal. And so leaving, I think, women and anal play out of the picture is also an area that I'm, I'm reclaiming and finding and I'm making my own stories from. And I think all of this really did initiate, though, with self-pleasure that I think um, that has been my crucible for exploring. 
Okay, so I mean, there was a, a lot in this this person's share. Like, thank you for for really drawing in a whole bunch of issues and also keeping the complexity while we're talking about this and the fluidity mm-hmm. of how people might experience things. So, what do you think about about this share, Corey? Yeah, I there's there is a lot here, and I you know there's certainly parts that I really vibe with and hearing you know more of that reflecting back of experiencing. Um, anal sex is almost this rite of passage into, you know, a community of queer masculinity. Um, and I, I think it's important to kind of think about the history there when we come back to this other point that this person made about there being like very little conversation about anal play in um, relationships between female, oh God, I'm, I'm not going to say females or like women loving women or in like in lesbian contexts. And I think, um, you know, when we think back, um, throughout history, you know, we see examples of um, male-male relationships being illegal, being punished, being criminalized um, in ways that, um, not to say that that lesbian relationships never were, but in, in different ways, right? And I think that um, this comes back to an idea that real sex involves penetration and therefore what gay men are presumably doing is penetrative and therefore transgressive and what um, lesbians are presumably doing is presumably not penetrative and therefore not real and therefore more acceptable. And I think we still see this show up um, in like polyamorous dynamics with one penis policies and nonsense like that. And so I think, you know, I think when we, as we talk about this attachment of um, gay identity and queer masculinity, to anal sex, it's important to keep the history in mind and what um, what our community has been through and how that particular sex act was sex act was stigmatized, um, particularly at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, right when we had a gay related immune disease. And I think, you know, I just want to I want to keep a lot of like empathy for that experience at the forefront as we sort of pick apart. Um, this relationship, but yeah, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and this this notion about uh, pegging as a feminist act is something that I also like feel so many different things about and want to like tread so carefully as I like work through it in my mind because, right, what we what we don't want to reinforce is the idea that penetration is innately passive or innately uh, feminizing or um, innately submissive, right, or that it's that it's um, that it's like a violence done upon someone that like, we don't, we don't like seek to peg straight men in a retaliatory way. Certainly we, we seek to challenge the notion that, that anal sex is something that women take, like not take as in like grab from men, but like receive from men in a, in a forcible way. But I like to think of it instead as inviting everyone in to the vulnerability of allowing someone else inside your body, allowing someone um, to fill you, to give you those kinds of in, intense sensations and um, those stretches and all of that. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting fluidity and, and uh, like path to walk down to think about all of these different things that that anal can represent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many good insights in that. And I, I really thank this person for, um, you know, helping us also explore pleasure from, from a perspective of like, let me try this thing. And I loved hearing them, you know, talk about this wanting to belong. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of a, a sense of belonging in our erotic experiences is what fuels sexual confidence. And so we can actually feel like, oh, I'm doing the things that other people are doing. And so therefore I'm, I'm like doing the sex good, you know, yeah. and like check mark for sex. And, and that's what we all want. I mean, this is such, I think this is such a shared experience about people wanting to feel validated and affirmed in their pleasure and desirability. Yeah, um, totally. And just, yeah, you know, I just think that like this, this angle of like anal sex is like finding a place to belong is so funny that like there's such a strong association between anal and very particular identities because, you know, like fucking B-Vibe knows everybody has a butt, everybody has the, it should, you know, it should be like the great equalizer. Yeah, right. It totally mm-hmm. should be. And and I also think it's, um, you know, it's really powerful when we start to talk about how the systems are embedded within how we see pleasure. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is a ton of, we do have a society that validates 
homophobia and especially for for cishet men. And so when we're talking about the ways in which our pleasure sometimes manifests and comes up in fantasies or depictions of our pleasure, they're often used to internally kind of bust open that stuff and have given people access to, oh my God, this feels good. So even if I think this makes me, I'm doing air quotes, gay, but it feels really good. And I'm going to use it as a, a way of, you know, connecting and a way of giving myself permission to take up space in this pleasure. I want people to feel liberated by their buttholes or yeah. whatever pleasure you want, right? It's like, right. do the thing because it feels good. Do it because yes. it feels amazing. Yes. And then learn about yourself through it. Learn about how the system's embedded in your pleasure. Learn about the assumptions mm -hmm. that, that you have. Yeah. Yo, I cannot tell you how many men I have fucked who have had their first prostate orgasm and then burst into tears immediately mm. after. Like who just had such a, a different and like opening and vulnerable experience that like captivated their body in such a new way that they like fucking cried. Um, Oof, just, yeah. My favorite thing. I think that's so beautiful. I think yeah. that's so beautiful. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, you know what? I think that you break like that, that point about like the different perceptions of bisexuality also has a big... Um, a big attachment to, to anal play and that like you're yeah. not you're not allowed to be multiple things you're not allowed to be into multiple things and there are certain identities and certain acts that are just so heavily marked with an association that you know it becomes it, it overwrites everything else that you're trying to say about yourself Oof. Oof. yeah it just takes like center stage and all of a sudden mm -hmm. this is like yeah who you are okay so our next uh listener is talking to us about how gender maybe isn't something that that really impacts their their pleasure so let's have a listen hey y'all jen the housewife here i don't think that gender really does play a role in butt stuff everyone's got a butt um i think that gender only happens um in role play if you're imposing it upon the act. And I think that I wanted to weigh in on this question because of that reason. I think there are so many other things to do with anal that we can talk about. Okay. All right. What do you think, Corey? I mean, right. Yes. I think I think what this person is getting back to is that no thing that you do with your body innately means anything about you, right? Your asshole has the second highest concentration of nerve endings in your entire fucking body. So of course it's going to feel good to play with. And that doesn't have to be a, a, an experience tied to your gender or your partner's gender or the performance of gender um, at all. You know, I like, I think that we always have to keep in mind that um, perception is reality, right? So for those of us who have to move through the world being visibly queer, visibly gendered in a particular way or a variant way. Um, there are social experiences that come with that that are very fucking real. And it can be really difficult to just, you know, take all of that off when you take off your clothes. Um, but certainly like these things are not innate, you know, there's an alternate universe where <laughs> we did gender completely differently or not at all, where people are sucking each other in the ass just because it feels good and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that. And I love this person brought up role play because I think role play is a lot of people's first times in exploring something inside themselves but also outside of themselves and it's kind of giving it a vessel to to play with so that's really cool and it leads us into our our next one which I've, I've called I've titled a little it's a little spicy but this person's also talking about <laughs> an experience where they got to play with a, a different set of characteristics and attributes than they normally possess Let's hear this one. Yes, I used to date this woman that used to love knowing I always want to be a transgender female. She'd always make me dress in pretty little clothing when I wasn't at work, make me walk around the streets with her, go clothes shopping. And while she was doing that, while I was doing that, she would have a butt plug put in me, make me wear it all the time, which was fun. Always loved the feel of it being filled up with it. Then sometimes when I get go to work, she'd make me wear it. And I'd get home, she'd have a couple of our guy friends there waiting for me so they can take turns putting their hard dicks inside my tight butt. She used to love watching it, humiliate me, call me like names when they were doing it. And it was such a turn on for her and I loved doing it for her. 
and it was a lot of fun. And I loved the feel of it. And it was always fun. Oh, yeah. I... We had themes of like voyeurism. We had mm-hmm. humiliation. We got power exchange. We've got, you know, kind of playing with expression. We also had fun, which I love that this person was like, it was fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is this particular fantasy is one that I encounter um, in sex work all the time. And um, one of the things that I that I notice about it, right, is um, the what seems to be a part of the fantasy when you know we're talking about oh all of these these men came and they used me and I enjoyed it um, is the ability to be an object of desirability and utility without responsibility and I think you know when we think about some of the the less explicit ways that masculinity manifests in our national identity um like our 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 identity is like a a country and a state and manifest destiny and there are a lot of ways that um we tie masculinity to the development of land and the the accumulation of wealth and there's a lot of um responsibility tied to that and there's also a lot of uh violence and onus tied to that and i think that i think that there are a lot of men who have lived a life that's very aligned with that experience, who have internalized a lot of that expectation and who have come to feel the repercussions of um, the, the sort of toxicity of painting masculinity in that way. And that creates um, a view of being feminized and being made passive that is incredibly desirable. Um, instead of being the aggressor, you are the object um, of everyone else's lust, you are able to sort of just lay back and be still useful, which is, you know, something that we've really ingrained into um, people in our culture, Um, but still to be pleasured um, and to be uh, fulfilled and to be sort of released from responsibility for driving the situation in a way that you may never get to do otherwise. Ooh, yeah, it becomes this little portal that, mm-hmm. that you get to play with. And I've heard you speak about this and I talk about this in, in my classes that we we can engage in our erotic selves for genitals, for like mm-hmm. all the good things. But, you know, really we're, we're also engaging in this self-development of, of a part of ourselves. And lots of us have had experiences like you've had where we, we got shitty sex ed or like we've had shitty affirmation of our bodies and who we are. And uh, this gets to be a place where where this person had a lot of fun and and felt all those things you mentioned like this desirability this like play space a softening of of parts of of themselves mm-hmm. that maybe you know wouldn't can't be done in other ways or aren't accessible in other ways yeah. all right okay let's move from spicy uh <laughs> yeah. let's Woo. go to you know what let's do somatic educator hell yeah So I heard that Luna was going to be recording a whole episode on um, anal play and gender, and I got so excited. Um, In my work as a somatic sex educator, I oftentimes find myself working with folks around anal and gender. Um, The people that I end up oftentimes working with are folks that like, perhaps have been carrying a lot of lifelong barriers um, and avoidances around butt play Um, and for many a variety of different reasons have decided that it's time to lean into that and I do see this oftentimes really land in gendered ways Um, there's usually gendered stories about why people aren't playing with their butts and gendered stories about who they want to be playing with their butts Um, and so there's just no way that we can really talk about anal play without also holding um, the fact that it, this, this isn't a conversation happening in a vacuum. This is a conversation happening in a white supremacist society that um, is fueled in a very like patriarchal, misogynistic kind of way. And it's showing up in our relationship with our pleasure centers. It's showing up in our relationship with our assholes. And our assholes can feel fucking great. And so, you know, part of the work of unwinding the patriarchy and part of the work of unwinding misogyny is to start getting curious about like what like what like what are the stories that are showing up and like how are they affecting my relationship with my butt and with butt play yeah one thing that really comes up for me when I think about butt play 
is the fact that like we all have assholes no matter who you're playing with there's a butt there and so it's this really exciting equal opportunity pleasure zone it's this really great way to explore and um, like sort of leveling out some of the baggage around genital structures and who's got what who's supposed to put what into what and so on and so forth and like explore the butt as this exciting cool <laughs> sexy place where yeah you can really like you can really play around with gender you can really play around with who's putting what into what you can really play around with like who's who's the top who's the bottom who's the giver who's the receiver like whatever these darn words mean because like the more time i spend in this work the less i know but there's just like an infinite opportunity for play and curiosity and like the wisdom that I feel and that I see in my own life and see in my practice is that like, you know, creating space for playing curiosity is really important. And butts actually like really circumvent a lot of like traditional narratives around like sex. Um, and so bring on the play and the curiosity. And, you know, butts are also really great safe haven for situations where um, there may be a lot of trauma associated with genital structures. Um, Folks may have um, preferences around gender and how their genitals are interacted with. Um, folks may have experienced like medical concerns um, and uh, surgeries that have affected the way that their genitals now exist in the world. And so butts like are another option on the table and another option that like may have some really cool and awesome sexy opportunities, both in the world of like how the nerve endings work and what feels juicy and joyful, but also, yeah, in the world of like, like what, what's, what energies are showing up? Like what powers are showing up? Like what's the, what's the brew of like your butt with another person? What's the brew of your butt with yourself? I love the brew butt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Someone should name a beer brew butt. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. A brew. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What are your thoughts, Corey? Oh my goodness, there's so much here. I just was so soothed. Like, listen. Right? Like, what a know. soothing am voice. In, yes. Am I in therapy right now? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's so it's so funny. The I think absolutely like the asshole can be a place to sort of circumvent or escape the trauma of dealing with whatever you've got going on in the front door. Um, of course, it can also be a site of of major trauma in and of itself. And I think that that's one of I think what you know coming back to our lack of inclusive and accurate and pleasure-based sex education, um, so many people sort of miss the opportunity to enjoy anal early on in their sex lives because they have early experiences where they don't know what they're doing and end up hurting themselves or hurting someone else um, and really internalize this idea that um, anal sex is painful, right? Which we know that it, it shouldn't be. And you know, I think, I think, yeah, like the asshole is a really great site to sort of <laughs> un, to unpack all of that, um, that trauma and that anxiety and really lean into it because your asshole tells no lies, you know, like that sphincter is involuntary. And if you are stressed out or tense or fearful or not really feeling the thing, your sphincter will tell you and it will stay closed and it will not let you have that like juicy and joyful um, experience. So it really, it doesn't allow you to just like dissociate um, the way that perhaps some of us have learned to do during other types of sex. The other thing that this made me think about was uh, certain like ultra religious communities that I know um, or that I have known of to really engage in anal sex. Um, like I, I grew up in a town with uh, a number of um, like small uh, born again Christian private schools. Um, and as you know, they would have like five to 10 kids per school and eventually they would find their way into, into public school with the rest of us. And I've met so many folks who had extensive experience with anal sex growing up because God is not watching the back door and anal sex doesn't count and anal sex can't get you pregnant. So it's, um, it's like a freebie and it was really interesting um, to see how so much focus on a different kind of sex and so much like anal sex was so, so stigmatized that it wasn't talked about at all, that it became almost destigmatized. Um, and it, it, it created this weird glitch that like allowed certain people that I knew to bypass the hangups around it that a lot of people in my own um, community did have having 
limited information that made it more intimidating. And so I think, you know, when what that comes down to is the ability to have sort of a raw, uh, unadulterated experience with it. That's And when I say unadulterated, I mean like by the stigma and by the assignment of meaning and all of those things that makes it um, so easy to just access the raw pleasure of it, which is really like, which is what the truth of anal is, that that, that, that potential is there. Yeah, yeah. I went to Catholic school, so I know this anal uh-huh. is not sex, but you can do it and you still have your virginity. And right, you know, and, then, and whenever I teach at bachelorettes, which are largely cis heterosexual women, um, you know, and there we'll, we'll come in to talk about blowjobs or something. And we'll obviously talk about anal and, yeah. and it's all about, you know, well, I got to take it because the anus is tighter and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he wants it. And it mm-hmm. makes me feel desired that, that this person wants to have me in this way. And, and so there's a lack of agency there when we, we assume that, that sex has to be painful or we, if we've accepted, it has to be painful to say like, Hey, slow down. Or like, you know, three licks on my buttholes, not enough like foreplay for, you know, seducing my butt. Or like, I don't want to, like you said, like I use my anus as an oracle. I'm like, if it's not in the mood, something's off. Like I got it, the butthole rules. I don't care, dom, top, whatever. You're like, the butthole is in charge. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think there's there's something to be said about like really, like Noah said, like more play, more curiosity and figuring out like it doesn't, you know, what feels good instead of this discomfort. Okay, up next, we've got Joan Zhu talking about queer masculinity. Hi, this is Joan Zhu. I'm going to give my thoughts on masculinity and anal. So I identify as completely versatile, um, an equal opportunity lover. Um, You know, people assume that if you're first, if you're top, if you're bottom, that you probably look a certain way. And I totally think that that's bullshit i feel like you know you could be completely feminine and you could be a top you could be super masculine and be a bottom it doesn't really matter there are no set ways of or look for your sexual role i feel like it you know at the end of the day the clothes come off you know i love when someone is super feminine and they are a strict top or super masculine and a strict bottom or vice versa like i love all of it. And I feel like it doesn't truly matter. And there shouldn't be such a stigma on what a top or bottom specifically look like. And I feel like we need to break down those gender norms. Yeah, but I, you know, I had a period where I topped more than bottomed, Um, just more so comfortability. I'm still kind of, you know, embracing my bottom side. For me, I'm just very, very tight. So yeah, I don't get gang banged as often as I would love to. But, you know, having two boyfriends that are verse, verging on more tops, I've gotten more open with it. And just hooking up with more guys that are tops, I've gotten more open to bottoming more often than I used to. But for me, you know, I wear makeup, I wear skirts, I don't really care about labels or things like that. I do identify as a cis man, but I still don't necessarily care about labels when it comes to fashion and the way I present myself. And I feel like a lot of people would assume, oh, that's definitely a bottom or a sub bottom. And for me, that's not true. Like, again, there was a period where I was more of a top and sometimes strictly so and in make full makeup and sometimes a dress or whatever and topping guys. Um, But nowadays, you know, I still do things like that. And I, yes, I'll take dick, but I also give it too. And I don't, For me, I don't think it matters what one looks like to be a top or a bottom. My advice for bottoming, honestly, um, a lot of lube. Uh, You know, there's a lot of guys that love poppers and things like that. I'm not really into poppers, but um, for me, I just like a lot of lube. And I just like put myself in the moment and just take it as best as I can and just get into it. But yeah, like I again, I feel like it doesn't really matter what one looks like. Um, you know, there's, I think it's really cool when someone's super feminine and a top or super masculine and a bottom and, or vice versa, you know? All right. So Jonesy gave us like a a lot to think about. And I love this vibe that, that he's bringing in, um, really kind of like, we don't have to be 
everything to everyone. Like if, if mm-hmm. you're hearing this and, and his appreciation of like strict tops or strict bottom, that's fine. That That's so awesome. And, um, you know, to be able to have new experiences, maybe you had sex with more tops and maybe who knows, maybe that like turned you on. And if there's another way to be turned on, don't you want to know? So there's there's lots of different vibes that, that people can um, kind of dig into and unravel for themselves. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, I, oh my goodness. I, first of all, first of all, okay, humble brag, congratulations on your two bisexual boyfriends. Um, right. Can I come over for dinner? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I actually really like, I really, I really vibe with um, everything that this person is saying. And I just, you know, I think it's great when we can really embrace the shirking of expectations, right? Or appreciate people who are not afraid to just go completely against the expectation that we have culturally created for them. Um, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Not, not only do you not have to be everything to everyone, but you can't, you, you can only be you. And you know what, what you're up for doing um, or how you present yourself is going to vary. Um, it's going to be in flux, you know, every, even, even the most like dedicated total bottom is going to have days where they don't feel up for bottoming. Um, and I love that this person started to get into like tips for bottoming a little bit, because that's also something that's like so lacking because like bottoming requires you to care for your body in a way that a lot of us just do not, do not do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. The things that you eat and the time that you invest in relaxing your muscles and warming up and, yeah, we had a whole great episode with uh, Bobby Box and oh, Bobby was yeah. like, right, Bobby's awesome and was going mm-hmm. into like stuff that was so much from lifestyle to like in the moment. So yeah, I totally agree with that too, that this is this is education we need. Let's let's hear the next one. I find that the fact that we talk about sex is just penetration. Uh, regardless of the gender, we tend to forget um, people with vulvas um, that can have uh, anal sex because um, both or more people with vulvas don't have penises. We tend to think that, oh, they don't really have anal sex, or if they do, it's with a strap on and none of them are actually getting pleasure so none of them do it and i think that um that was kind of like my perspective on the topic without realizing like i was conditioned to think that because i when i uh, used to have sex with men i did have several um Round. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't know how to say it. I, I did have anal sex several times, is what I mean. And then when I started sleeping with women or only women, I did not have that. And one time I realized that me and my partner at the time, uh, we didn't have anal sex because we thought that it was just performative uh, for what we, you know, what we see important. And we realized that there was not a lot of information about it. Uh, for us personally, what we liked was um, uh, fingering and, you know, applying uh, small toys, uh, especially vibrators, but not like not like as she would or I would uh, wear a, a strap-on and like doggy or something, but more like we would used to explore more like how different things felt. And I think that there's not a lot of information or porn around that goes that doesn't show like a woman with a strap on um penetrating another woman or you know several women uh and yeah i think that was interesting to 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 see and i've talked to my lesbian or bisexual friends uh women or you know people with bulbas and i think that's been the experience for most of us that we don't think there's a way for us to have anal sex when there is and i think there should be a little bit more information on on how to do that and maximize pleasure for both parties or more parties involved 
um, especially if they're both vulva or owners. All right. So vulva owners and booty pleasure. What do you think, Corey? Yeah. I mean, I think this person makes a lot of good points about the lack of um, representation of this uh, and information about this particular sort of type of play. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's reflective of a lack of um, information and prioritization of vulva pleasure in general. You know, like I think that one of the things that comes up when the default expectation is, well, if you have a vagina, then that's the hole you're going to use, is this uh, incorrect notion that the vagina is a lower maintenance hole and it's the path of least resistance. And so I'll just fuck that, mm. you know, and that's that's not leading to very pleasurable front door sex. Um, there are a plethora of ways that we can experience anal pleasure um, and have anal sex that don't necessarily involve a strap. Only does everybody have a butthole, but everybody has a fist. Um, and I, I don't know, somehow I always end up coming back to being this like big proponent of fisting because you have all five that. of, yeah, you have all five of the plugs that you need to get there, like attached to the thing. Yeah. I really, I, I agree. I think it, it's so, um, it's so great to hear people want more like booty pleasure information that that meets their needs. Mm -hmm. I think we're at a great time in history when this is like what what we get to listen to because I think before yeah. there wasn't even a sense of oh that that should be for me or that I want it mm -hmm. to be representative of me. And uh, we just did uh, an episode on queer women and anal pleasure and it was an audience request episode for very similar reasons to this person. And I think that we there was a lot of information for vulva owners who are, are queer women, and we didn't really get into queer trans women and, and what that might look like. And so is there is there anything that you can tell us about um, pleasure tips or booty pleasure tips that might be relevant or even booty pleasure conversations that we should be opening up in spaces when we're um, talking about queer women and anal, whether they're cis or trans? Yeah, you know, I think, um... I think in, in many of our conversations about anal, we need to come back to um, the this like delicate balance of both vulnerability and power that comes with allowing someone to penetrate you and all of the things that it has come culturally to mean to be penetrated, right? And um, the sort of representative or like metaphorical experiences, the, the signifiers, the rites of passage that come mm. with getting fucked. Um, and, you know, I, I am a person on the trans masculine side of the spectrum. I'm AFAB, so I'm not the best person to speak to. Like, what do we need to know about the trans femme experience of um, anal pleasure? But I, you know, as a, as a member of the trans community, I do, you know, I do have this relationship with trauma and complication around using um, sex assigned genitalia, which is not something that I want to assign to all trans people, right? Because plenty of us are perfectly comfortable or happy to um, use the shit that we have. But yeah, I mean, the asshole is this, it's so funny that, you know, on the one hand, we want to emphasize the equal opportunity nature of it, because on the other hand, it can come to represent something very specific, um, depending on how you contextualize it. And one, you know, one of the other things that I like to, to think about in relation to um, gender and anal play uh, comes back to one of my other favorite topics, which is sponge play. Um, yeah. And you know, the asshole presents us with an opportunity to play with both G-spots and prostates, right? Because the, the wall between the vaginal canal and the anus is very thin. It's really easy to do G-spot play from the asshole. Um, and it's something that really allows you to recreate a sense of home field advantage, even when you're playing with someone whose body maybe looks different from your own. And I, I have known a lot of people to feel sort of intimidated to explore anal play with someone who is assigned a different sex at birth from them. But I think that when we think about the mechanics of sponge play and think about the asshole as the portal to that, we're able to have a much more comfortable and intuitive experience. And I think that that's something that can be really beneficial um, to having sex with someone of any gender. Yeah. Can you explain uh, sponge play briefly? Yeah, yeah. I, so I, you know, I'm actually not sure if where, where this, where the term sponge play originated, if someone else made it up, or if I just started saying it um, out of convenience, but it's, it's a way that I refer to um, G-spot play and prostate play collectively, because they are both 
glands of spongy tissue that respond to the same kind of stimulation. They're in the same place in the body. They even produce a fluid that's chemically similar in composition, right? G-spots and prostates um, make essentially a prostatic fluid that's alkaline. It aids in reproduction. Um, it is involved in ejaculation in bodies of any gender. Um, and the, the sort of strategies for playing with a G-spot and a prostate, a sponge, are the same. If you want to wake that sponge up and get it to fill up with fluid and become like really engorged and gushy, um, and then you want to wring it out. And, you know, the best way to wring out a sponge um, is going to be is going to be the same, regardless of whose body um, that sponge is in, some type of like firm pressure. I really love the... Um, the, the vibrating snug plugs for that like wake up process. I find that like that combination of like weight and vibration just kind of resting like right against it and like calling all that blood flow in and like getting all of that like fluid building up is um, super effective. Anal play can be an equal opportunity pleasure activity, especially if you're using butt plugs. Now remember, butt plugs can be popped in while you're doing other types of sex that you enjoy. So whether that's oral sex or cuddling or nipple play or other types of penetrated sex, and they add this extra sensation to this highly nerve rich area. So Corey and I both really like the vibrating snug plugs and the snug plugs are great for most butts. They're available in five sizes. So you've got anything from a suitability for a beginner, all the way up to an advanced butt slut anal enthusiast. The shape of the vibrating snug plug can stimulate prostate and add sensation to parts of the vagina. You can also check out the snug and tug, which we mentioned, which is a, a cock ring attached to a butt plug. So you're getting this kind of rocking back and forth sensation to the penis and the anus. So head over to bvibe.com and grab something for yourself or your booty boo and save 25% off of bvibe branded products until March 2nd, 2022 with the code equal E Q U A L. But anyway, the, the point that I was making before I like start fantasizing about it is that, <laughs> um, yeah, like sponge play being so analogous allows for the recreation of a gendered experience of any kind that you want to have, which I think is really special. I think that sounds so special too. Thank you for, for taking us into the sponge and, <laughs> and for also helping us discover, you know, a lot about pleasure anatomy and, and how we can maximize spots that we want to give attention to and, you know, kind of minimize or even anal allows us often to circumvent genitals if, if mm -hmm. we want to in our, in our sexual experiences. My name is Jess Melendez, she, her, hers, and I'm a sexual health educator that's located in San Diego, California. I've been talking about sex and sexuality and educating for the past 10 years. Um, so questions that I usually receive from adults when it came to um, anal sex, behavior, and sexuality was really associated with stereotypes and uh, even stigma um, and shame, really. And I live in the United States, so a majority of adults today never really had the opportunity to receive medically accurate sex information. So that's not the fault of adults asking questions like this, but I would definitely receive questions that are associated with, oh, if I participate in any type of anal sexual behavior, does that mean that I am now this identity or this, um, is this my sexual orientation? So common ones that I'd receive from cisgender straight men is, if I like anal sex, does that mean I'm gay or cisgender straight women? If my boyfriend is interested in anal stimulation or wants their prostate rubbed, does that mean that he's secretly bisexual? So there's a lot of questions that I would receive from adults that way. What's interesting about young people that I have been educating for the past six, seven years is most of the questions are associated with what's normal and curiosity. Nothing related to stigma or shame, or even stereotypes for that matter. But questions that I would get is, what is anal sex? How is that different from vaginal stimulation? And let's see, uh, safer sex practices. And why would somebody choose to engage in anal sex? And is it normal for somebody to engage in anal sex? Mostly normalizing questions questions about validation and curiosity. And so I give it straight to those young people. I let them know that, you know, 
It's a type of stimulation that some people are interested in. And it doesn't determine somebody's gender, their sexuality, their sexual orientation, or any way that they identify with their um, the intersections of their own identities. But, you know, I definitely let them know anatomy lessons. I am so glad people like Jess exist because mm-hmm. I reached out to her specifically because she works with youth and adults. And I, I thought the the shares around adults have all this learned shame, right? Mm-hmm. And the kids are kind of like, well, I don't know. What about the butthole? Like, what do we do? And and it's it that's that to me is hope. I mean, yes. I don't I don't know how many young people are getting access to anal sex education. It's definitely not part of a curriculum. I'm sure there are also sodomy laws in in places still that also conflict with getting access to information. So um, yeah, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I, yeah, I really agree that the, the progression of questions from, um, does this make me gay? Like with all that panic behind it to, (laughs) how do I do this thing is, is really hopeful. Yeah, I, I also, um, the other thing that kind of struck me about this one, I think we we focused a lot on like the internalized homophobia of, of um, you know, cis men, but there's, there's also this homophobia that comes with their partners and this internalized misogyny and internalized mm-hmm. homophobia and attaching it to bisexuality or um, also connecting to that. And you, you've spoken to that. I think it's, it's something that we, we just want to affirm that this is, this is an exploration and the things that we do are not a pathology to, to the right. things that, right? Like who we are or what this says about me, you know? Yeah. 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 And you know, that extrapolation from, like anal stimulation to am I gay not only is is homophobic but it also just is such a an example of how we're so focused on cocks like yeah liking something in your butt doesn't have to mean that it's going to be a penis and obviously you know obviously it is not only men who have penises Um, But I think that the assumption that's happening in that line of thinking is, oh, like, if I like something in my butt, that thing is going to be a dick. It's going to be a dick attached to a man. Ergo, I am a homosexual. And that's just so funny because there are so many things, not only that you can put in your butt other than a dick, but that you probably should put in your butt before a dick, even if that is the thing that you want, um, that you want in there, including your own fingers, right? Like we, in in anal sex education, we come back so much to practice makes perfect and you should practice by yourself because you're never going to, you, you need to be relaxed. You need to be comfortable and you're never going to be more relaxed. It's never going to be lower stakes than it's, than when it's just you and yourself. And you know, what is, what is that? Who's out here saying, am I gay for mass? Is it gay to masturbate? Um, I, somebody, I guess, but yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so funny how quickly we, we conflate sexual practice, which is what we're doing with sexual identity, which is who you're doing it with, um, which are just, are two completely different things. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I hope everyone that's listening, you know, whatever your relationship is to exploring or getting curious about your pleasure or your gender or your sexuality, you know, whatever that looks like is it's okay. And it's going to be messy. Sometimes it's going to feel isolating and then it might feel liberating. It might feel like you have more fun in your sexual experiences. You have less hangups around this self-judgment, which all those things steal from sexual confidence. And mm-hmm. that's the number one thing I think people come to me for, for coaching or class everyone's looking for like how do I get more confident in like doing the sex and you know this this is how this is how we start to shed all these pieces of shame that are creating this insulation between us and and pleasurable experiences that we can actually own and and feel really validated by mm-hmm. oh, Corey, uh, Corey. Oh. I know you have like gifted us. You really gifted us today. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and sharing so much about yourself. I think that that was really powerful. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, I'd love to hear, you know, what's next for you? What are you doing? What do you have on? Where can we find you? Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I so appreciate uh, an opportunity for a plug. That's so kind. And I, I thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this. I love, um, I love talking about butts and butt stuff. Um, I love an opportunity to collab with the vibe. Um, I, what's next for me? I mean, I will, I don't see myself leaving the sex industry anytime soon ever. Um, I 
intend to continue making porn. I intend to continue doing in-person work. It's something that I um, I'm really, really fucking privileged to be at a point in my career where I am able to be selective about the kinds of work that I do so that I am safe and able to um, take on projects that I enjoy. Um, all of my uh, sex related work, which includes, you know, sex education and um, in-person stuff lives on my website, which is morecory.com. Um, but what's next for me is, is this movement to incorporate more birth work into my life. Um, in, uh, my training is, is full spectrum. I'm really excited to take on um, doula support for folks who are intending to parent, for folks who are intending to have an abortion. Um, for folks who are in their postpartum period, but primarily with folks who are pursuing adoption. Um, I have a brand new website uh, around that kind of work. It's called worldofdifferencedoula.com. Um, I, yeah, yo, I just, I have, I've come back to this, this thinking. Um, what I really learned when I had a doula who was a queer person, who was sex positive, who was familiar with polyamory, who, who shared a lot of experiences and identities with me, um, that made that care just so much more effective. What I realized was having, you know, having the support of somebody who sees you, who is in your community just makes a world of difference. Like it really fucking does. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about doing more of that kind of community-based like shared experience birth work. Ooh, ooh, okay. We will put all the links of where to find you, all the things in the show notes so people can follow this work. I think it's so amazing how many you know, toes you've got dipped in all these wonderful things that obviously like, I wish you all could see Corey's face. Cause like, there's like the biggest smile and like <laughs> such joy coming out of this work. Um, thank you so much again, Corey. I think this has been an amazing and really just uplifting and, you know, kind of curiosity provoking conversation for many people, whether they've been deeply involved in thinking about gender, or this is the first time they're really thinking about gender and booty play. Thank you so much. Hell yeah. Thank you. For a topic that could cover infinite experiences, I am so grateful for Corey's knowledge and education. Definitely go find more Corey at morecorey.com and learn about their doula work at worldofdifferencedoula.com. Both of those are linked in our show notes for you. I'm also really, really grateful for you, all of you that submitted your wonderful stories that were thoughtful and sexy. It is really awesome to speak truth or to to get community around our experiences that can sometimes feel kind of isolating. Did you have any feels about today's episode? Were there any crevices of your own sexual pleasure and sexuality that you're inspired to explore or continue exploring? You know, whether you're undoing internalized homophobia, like most of us are, uh, whether you're exploring ways to take up more space in your body and feel like you belong in it, you might be aligning your pleasure and your gender, whatever you're doing, be gentle with yourself. Because our world can be really invalidating once you're rebellious about its concocted norms. So seek out your community, give yourself permission to embrace who you are and what you like, and it is so much lighter than the weight of pleasure obstruction. I promise. If you've got more to say on this episode or any of our episodes, you can always leave us an anonymous voice message at speakpipe.com slash the plug podcast. We love hearing from you. So until next time, friends, stay. Stay bootyful.